Parenting is work, like a lot of work. And it can be easy to feel like no one understands. Well, as a mom of four, including two newborn twins, <laughs> I'm here to tell you that at the end of the day, we're all figuring it out as we go. You are not alone. I'm Summer Shepherd, and this is, no, seriously, how do I do this? Thank you so much for joining us for this week's episode. This is something that when I got the news from our district, and when I started seeing so many people flooding Facebook with the news that they had gotten from theirs, I knew this is something we had to talk about. Another example of something that we have no idea how to manage, and yet we're all trying to do so together. How are we going to survive this next season of school? So many of us are looking at the reality that we are not going to be sending our kids back to the classroom right away. Or if we are, it's going to be part-time or they're going to be in masks. For many of us, though, we're looking at the reality of potentially a whole nother semester or year or more, we don't know, of now virtual learning, which we kind of explored in the spring. And for many of us, that is scary and not good news. Can I be honest with you? I almost cried. <laughs> Full transparency because my daughter is five and she is going into kindergarten. And if you have had a child go into kindergarten, you know that there are certain milestones, right? There's that first day of school picture. This is their first time in full-time school. You want to capture that picture of them running off to the bus with a full backpack and excitement and brand new shoes. And instead, what I'm seeing on Facebook are parents having their kids pose with empty backpacks and masks on. <laughs> and their first day of school is happening at their kitchen table. And it's not surrounded by brand new friends that they're going to keep for a lifetime. And all the other expectations we had when we were thinking of the start of this school year. And it broke my heart. It still breaks my heart. I'm trying to be optimistic because I know that even in this, God is working and God can use it like he does right? But it's scary. And for many of us, maybe for you, schooling from home is just one of the responsibilities on your plate. I feel like there's a reason that we choose to be working moms or stay-at-home moms or homeschooling moms because we can't do it all. And yet now, well, maybe you are. And so I want to have this conversation today. And I knew that when I did, I wanted to talk to somebody who's a bit further along down the road. Now, I will be the first to acknowledge there is a difference, there's a very real difference between schooling from home and homeschooling. One of them is a choice with a very different structure, and one of them is something that many of us are being thrown into right now. However, I think there is wisdom that someone who has a vast amount of experience in homeschooling can share with the rest of us because at some point they started and at some point they had to learn all the hard lessons and they kind of hopefully figured it out. Now I can say with confidence that Jamie, she might not do it perfectly. I'm sure she would agree that she doesn't sometimes, right? But she definitely has some stuff figured out. Jamie Erickson is our guest today. And she is the founder of The Unlikely Homeschool. It's a blog. You can check it out online, on Facebook, et cetera. It's wonderful. And she also wrote the book, Homeschool Bravely. 
She has five kids and started her career as an elementary school teacher. So she's kind of been around education, been homeschooling for 14 years now. And so I figured her expertise is gonna be something that we can definitely benefit from. So Jamie, thank you so much for being here. I mean, thank you so much for making the time. Now, one of the things that really fascinates me about your background is that you started as a teacher in quote unquote regular school. That was your background. You were in education. But then when you had your own kids, you decided to switch out and become a homeschooling mom. Why? Where did that change, that shift come from? Well, you know, I'll have to be honest. My husband was homeschooled back in the late 80s, early 90s, when it was super weird and practically illegal. And my sweet mother-in-law came to me before we even had kids. And she posed the question if I would ever consider that route for our kids someday. And I looked at her in, in complete raw honesty and probably a little bit of rebellion. And I just said, uh, no hard pass. <laughs> Homeschooling was not in my wheelhouse or frame of reference at all. I thought as a mom that I really had the perfect gig for, you know, being a mom that my kids, when they came along, could then come with me to school and we'd have all the same days off and the same vacations. It just seemed like on paper, being a classroom teacher was perfect. Um, But as is the case with many things in life, you know, God had other plans and it was pretty much the day the doctor handed me my first little pink bundle in the hospital. And I looked down at that sweet little face and loved her with a love I didn't even know existed. And I began to think about what it would look like, you know, two, three, four, five years down the road when she would leave me for six to eight hours a day. And and I knew that she would be in a place where she would get a great education. I had no doubt about that, but I knew from my classroom experience that I would get the leftovers of her time. She would come home at the end of the day having spent all her words, you know, spent all her emotions, and then whatever was left, you know, the scraps of her day, I would get. And I just didn't want that. And so, I guess to answer your question, I was compelled with the idea of homeschooling simply because I loved her so much and perhaps selfishly, I wanted to continue to love her every moment and not defer that to someone else. Now that is interesting and it's beautiful. I I love that you made that choice because you wanted to spend more time home with your kids. But I think there's a difference when it comes to parenting philosophies in this, because for some of us, we feel the strongest when we're in it with our kids all the time. We're like, this is what makes me a good mom. And for others, like, honestly, I need that time away. I need that time to decompress. I need that built-in structure and childcare that school represents in order to come back with intentionality and be my best mom. But the fact is during this season, Jamie, like it or not, a lot of us are being put into that position where we don't have a choice. And I think that we're finding just how nice it can be to explore the side of things we never considered before. And let's be real, it can also be absolutely tough and terrifying. Now, when it comes to your situation, though, was it easy? I mean, you you were a teacher. You transitioned from teaching in a classroom to now teaching at home. Was that always an easy transition for you? 
No. And as with all really great and big decisions in life, you always love your decision, but from day to day, you don't always like it. So I would, I'd be remiss if I, you know, didn't lay all my cards on the table. Sometimes, you know, I love homeschooling. Absolutely. And I'm such a champion for home education. I love it. But there are days where I like it 0%. But that's just Mm -hmm. life. You could say that about anything that is meaningful and, and worth doing because we live in a fallen world and sometimes things that, you know, in a perfect world would look perfect, they're um, a little fractured and broken. And so, you know, when you're stuck at home all day with imperfect people and you're an imperfect person, you're going to have imperfect situations sometimes. But I believe God uses those imperfections in our sanctification and sort of just refining us to be more fully like him and it's hard work. And sometimes it feels like he's taking a chainsaw to our personalities and to our emotions instead of a scalpel, but it's needed work. So um, when I transitioned out of the classroom, you would think that it would have been an easy transition, you know, to step from one kind of teaching into another. But the fact of the matter is there's a lot of necessary and right and good things that a teacher has to do over there in a brick and mortar traditional classroom because you are teaching the masses that really actually hinder the work over here at home. And I was Hmm. preconditioned with my education background to assume that education can only look this one way. And um, instead of being like a mom who's just coming into home education, I had to actually sort of slough off those preconceived ideas about education and almost relearn how to teach. So I had kind of an uphill battle, if you can believe that. I think a lot of people assume that teachers have an easier time home educating. And to some extent, that's true. I mean, we certainly can navigate curriculum pretty easily. And we know, you know, the tricks of the trade and maybe some of the the verbiage. We have a working vocabulary of education. But it it's a different mindset. And you actually have to shift mindset to be able to do it well. And And I'm kind of a type A personality. And so that took some work on my part to be able to slough off those, those ideas I had about school and about education and about what real learning looks like. It wasn't easy. I can imagine. I mean, and I think there's a lot of misconceptions that we have about teachers that we are being forced to confront as we are being <laughs> made to be teachers in a way that we'd never considered before. I think we're seeing how hard teachers work and the pressure that they really have to shape these minds where we probably took that for granted, those of us in that traditional school system. And I know that for me and for a lot of us, this kind of started back in the spring where the schools were closing down because of COVID. And it was more of a maintenance mode though at that point. You're like, how do we not lose what they've learned? But now as we're moving into the fall and so many schools are continuing on this, there's the more pressure of, Now we need to instill new knowledge. And I'm still reeling from all the mistakes that I made the first time around back in the spring. Now, when you you started out, were there mistakes that you made that you look back, you're like, man, I wish I could just go back and do that over. Yeah, I think my mistakes came from just my my self-doubt and assuming that I was failing at every turn. You know, education is a long game and we can look from day to day and think, well, that day was a dumpster fire and nothing happened there 
um, in the realm of education. We had no forward motion, but that was just one day. And we allow our failures, our this this very moment failures, to define the whole thing. But now on the other side of it, you know, I have a 16-year-old daughter who's now in her sophomore year of college. And I can say without a doubt, yeah, I made a lot of mistakes. And in there's a lot of coulda, shoulda, wouldas that stack up in my home education timeline, but it's a long game. And she's she's um, an honest person, a trustworthy person. She's, um, kind and compassionate, all the things that, that really matter. Does she know everything about everything? Absolutely not. Did I, did I miss some things? Were there gaps in her education? Most certainly. But I can also say, having worked in the classroom and in the school district, no education is without gaps and holes. And it takes a lifetime to learn all the things. And that really is part of the mind mindset shift that we all need to take about education is that that you know learning is for a lifetime. And really homeschooling is less about imparting all the knowledge and more about igniting a passion in your kids to want to know all the knowledge because real and true education is self-directed and everything else, you know, there's a famous quote by um, educator Charlotte Mason. She was a turn of the century, 20th century British educator. And she said, everything else is just mere veneer laid on a, a child's nature. So we cannot force anyone to learn anything. It has to be Um, self-directed to some extent. You know, I can spoon feed you information from the encyclopedia all day long, but if you're not interested, if you don't want to learn, if you don't have the the desire and the passion, it's just going to go through one ear and out the other. And, and I think we'd all do well. Those of you who are, who are stepping into this, um, having no education background, maybe reeling from this past spring, feeling like, well, that was a disaster. I I don't want to repeat what that was. I think we'd all do well to just um, begin to to craft a, a learning atmosphere where ideas are fostered and kids are encouraged in their own passions and being and and given the opportunity to learn right where they're at without all of these like structures and formats. And I'm not saying we should just throw you know every model out the window, but I think we need to go a little lighter on ourselves. True learning comes in lots of different forms. And I think it would be so much easier on ourselves if we would just allow um, learning to count in whatever way it looks and comes about. I think as parents, one of the hardest things we can ever do is is show ourselves grace. And yet it's the most important thing we can ever do because we, we carry that. We carry those mistakes that we've made. We carry that guilt. We carry that pressure with ourselves. And that is definitely the case, I think, with this next schooling season for a lot of parents. And so you talk about fostering that environment. How do we do that when our kids are dreading this just as much as we are? How do we get them excited to learn in this new normal? Right. I think it depends on your situation. You know, there's there's a lot of different um, inroads to education in this coming fall. You know, some will be doing a hybrid model of school. Some will be doing true distance learning. Others will be, you know, in the classroom trying to social distance. Others will be, you know, fully immersed in homeschooling. So it's going to look a lot different. But I think the starting point in all of those scenarios is to chase the fun for your child. You know, Every child is hardwired by God to have a passion. And that's where you need to start. 
In homeschooling, we call it strewing. So you start with something that you know they are interested in. I'll just give you an example. My youngest son is just obsessed with baseball right now. You know, to be honest, I could take or leave baseball. I don't really know that much about it. I'm willing to come alongside him and cheer on his team and champion baseball because I love him. So therefore, I can love baseball. But it's not really my go-to, but it's his. So if I were to start with baseball and say, we're going we're gonna to learn some things today and it's all going to center around baseball. We're going to learn our math facts and use baseball stats. We're going to um, read some really great biographies about Babe Ruth and, and some of the baseball greats, Jackie Robinson. We're going to um, learn about maybe Newton's laws of physics and how you know the baseball bat hits the ball and, and the 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 force of that. And if we start there, and then we begin to introduce other things that that still kind of align and run parallel to baseball, but it's a new topic or a new idea by just laying out a feast of ideas for our kids, like um, some great books and videos, going on a field trip or talking to some experts and just creating this atmosphere of learning that that passion for baseball can actually be like a hook, line, and sinker into the next thing. One passion leads to the next, which leads to the next. It's kind of like that that classic children's book, if you give a mouse a cookie, you know, it, one thing leads to the next. I think, I think no matter what your education is going to look like this coming fall, whatever your schooling um, journey will look like, Start with your child's passion and use that to lead him or lure him, you might say, into the next thing. And, and then he's, he's following along of his own accord and you're not prodding him because no learning is going to happen when anybody gets prodded. I agree. <laughs> I look at my kids and whenever I, I try to make them do something, I'm almost guaranteeing that it's not going to happen. But when I make it seem like a fun adventure that was their idea to begin with. All of a sudden, miracles happen and the room gets clean and the learning gets done. Now, speaking of kids, for our situation, at least, we're, we're blessed in that we have one child that is going to be going through this. She's five. And so it, I'm going to be honest, Jamie, it kind of breaks my heart. This isn't what I imagined her kindergarten experience to be, where she's going to be sitting at a laptop at our dining room table. But then in addition, I have a three-year-old and newborn twins who aren't in school yet. So for those parents who are managing kids who are in a different stage of life, what do you do with them while you are trying to homeschool one child? Yeah, I think, um, first of all, you need to just acknowledge right out of the gate that you're in a difficult season. I think just even saying that out loud to yourself, acknowledging this is a hard season. It's going to be hard. There's no not going to be a miracle elixir. There's no secret formula or secret sauce that's going to help us get through this unscathed. Just saying that will hopefully allow you to give yourself the grace um, for when days are hard and to to give your kids some grace. You know, we have to understand that they're nurturing their own disappointments and all of this too. Like you said, your your child who should be going off to kindergarten like all the other cherub-faced five-year-olds, you know, and you have all these big dreams and big plans of what that might look like and now suddenly we've taken a hard turn. Your child has their own disappointments. And so so we have to acknowledge that and let them acknowledge that. So it is going to be a difficult season. I will say, you know, probably for a good 
oh, 10 years straight of the last 14 years of homeschooling, I was in that same season where I had, you know, babies or toddlers in tow. And I was trying to, you know, balance the balls of home and school and work and mom, you know, I had to play the mom and the teacher. It can be done. It is difficult. I have um, just a huge lengthy list of ideas for not just surviving the baby and toddler days of homeschooling, but really thriving them in my book, Homeschool Bravely. So I'm not going to, I don't have time to, to give you a ton of things, but I would say my, my top tip for you is to institute what I like to call sibling school. And that is when you say to your oldest child, no matter how young they actually are, you know, you say yours is five years old, they're still old enough to, to maybe handle a little bit of responsibility in the day at five years old. So you assign them um, a series of time, let's say it's 10 or 15 minutes in the morning, and then a slot of time again in the afternoon for 10 or 15 minutes, where they are paired up with one of your younger kids. And it is their responsibility to sort of play teacher to that younger one. So maybe your three-year-olds. And they have to pick an activity that they can do with the the three-year-old to make them feel valued and seen and known in the homeschool day. And there's so many layers of benefit to having a sibling school. I I guess I can just mention the top three. One, it's going to relieve you of 10 or 15 minutes in your day so that you can go off and do something else like put a load of laundry in or, you know, answer some emails. So it's going to free you up to do one last thing. Two, it's really going to foster this deep ownership in your older child to the younger child. When in, when they're put in a re- place of responsibility and and they're seen as as someone who is able and, and they're given that task, I really think that most kids rise to the challenge. And so you can help them out by putting together a list of activities that your toddlers are really into and really enjoy. And you have to remind your older kids, you know, this time is for your younger sibling. It's not about you. It's not what you want to do. It's what they want to do. So put together at the beginning of the school year, like, you know, 15 or 20 different things that that they can do certain puzzles or reading books to the younger ones or, you know, going outside and pushing them on the swing or whatever it is, make it easy for your older child to have a list of to-dos that they can pick each day. This is what I'm going to do. And, and then, you know, encourage them to do it. So it's fostering that ownership. And I would also say it's introducing your older kids, no matter how young they actually are, to a mindset of service right in their own home. You know, they can learn to serve the people that God has put right in front of them. And oftentimes that's their younger siblings. And and you'd be surprised just even in 10 or 15 minutes a day, what that does to a sibling connection. But I think oftentimes we, we think that our kids just cannot get along and that they're going to just fight all day. And, and really we're not giving them enough credit and we're not fostering and nurturing and providing an atmosphere where sibling connections can grow. So I think this need of having to occupy our babies and toddlers and this desire to nurture sibling connections can really collide when you institute sibling school in your day. I think that's one of the most daunting things for a lot of us is how am I going to manage all these kids? How am I going to get it all done? How am I going to focus on this one's studies, this one's nap time, this one's feeding schedule, and my own work from home schedule. So so I love the idea of incorporating your older children 
in helping care for the little ones as one solution. Now, that's just one thing you can do in the day to help um, thrive with your babies and toddlers. Like I said, there's many, many different things um, that you can do. I've listed a ton of them in my book. Different um, just toddler activities that you can do and pull out without breaking the bank, without, you know, making this and building that and creating a wheel. There's lots of things that you can do. But again, it goes back to this idea. You have to understand it is a hard season. It's not going to be perfection. And you have to just be willing to acknowledge that. And I, I want to say how excited I am for your book. And for those who are listening, you're like, well, I could really use some of those ideas. I just want to take a minute to say we are going to be giving some copies of that book away. So just be checking the No Seriously, How Do I Do This Facebook page. We'll give you some more information there. Uh, but Jamie, one of the things that I'm personally struggling with is we have this interesting relationship with technology in our house. I'd be lying if I said I never put on a movie as a bit of a babysitter, especially in the season where I'm trying to work from home and get everything done. Um, but we we're trying to be intentional about screen time with our kids. We're trying to make sure that they don't get, you know, too addicted to technology early. But as you acknowledged, for a lot of schools, the solution is to put them in front of a tablet, in front of a laptop, and it's virtual learning. And so how do we balance that so that it's it's not just the technology watching our kids for us? How can we still be intentional about engaging when most of the learning is happening online? I think it's definitely intentional. I mean, you said that's the perfect word um, to put with this, this atmosphere that we're all heading into in the fall. Obviously, if you are doing any sort of distance learning or any sort of um, hybrid schooling, you're going to have to recognize that there will be a certain amount of screen time in the day. And because you know that ahead of time, you need to say that's the priority. You know, that's the screen time priority, I should say. And then let the rest of the screen time opportunities go by the wayside, at least for this season. You know, your kids are going to become zombies if they're just in front of a screen all the time. And I don't have to say that. You know that. Um, so the priority for screen time will have to be school. But remember... And, and obviously, you have to check with your district because every format, you know, Google Classroom and Zoom is going to be different. And there might be specific times that your kids have to log on in the day, and that's going to be unavoidable. But I think one of the things in creating this learning atmosphere and sort of stepping outside of the traditional classroom box that we're all sort of conditioned to see, we have to understand that school doesn't have to happen between nine and three. It does in a classroom situation, and, and probably your listeners, if they did any sort of um, schooling at home last year or distance learning last year, one of the things that a lot of parents were introduced to is this idea that, that school actually takes a whole lot less time than you realize. You know, most kids were done with their work between one and three hours because the fact of the matter is, in a traditional classroom setting, that's about the amount of time that real learning actually happens. You know, like, like I had mentioned, there's a lot of necessary and right and good things that have to happen over there um, because you're educating the masses. You know, here's a, a quick example. When I was in the classroom, I would have to take my kids to the bathroom four times a day. And with, with 25 kids, it took us about 15 minutes to accomplish that. So if you do the math, that's one whole hour in the school day where kids were not actually learning, 
they're just going to the bathroom. And then you multiply that idea by several other just um, interruptions that happen in the day, no matter how organized the classroom is. And what it boils down to is you have one to three hours of actual instruction. So with that knowledge in place, you can say to yourself, okay, we have one to three hours of instruction that my kids will have to be on a Zoom call or a Google Classroom or doing some sort of portal learning, but I can perhaps space that out. So we're going to do, you know, 20 minutes, depending upon the ages of your kids, we're going to do 20 minutes of screen time for school. And then we're going to do an outside activity, whether that's just, you know, shooing them out in the backyard for them to run and play and get some fresh air. And then they're going to come in and do a more sedate literature based activity. We're going to read some good books and set a feast of books in front of them, or we're going to do um, a more creative activity, like do an art project art project. You don't have to set all of these things up at the beginning of the year and decide, you know, pre-decide all the different activities you're going to do. But I think it's helpful to set up time slots and sort of a rhythm to the day. So, you know, start with school and then outside and then a literature-based activity and then a creative activity and then maybe another slot of school. And, and I think kids really thrive on those um, flexible structures, not a minute by minute structure that has to happen in a classroom, but a flexible structure that allows school to, to feel like it fits at home. One of my favorite things that I read on your blog recently, which if anyone's looking is called the unlikely homeschool, <laughs> is that uh, setting schedules is valuable because clarity is kindness to everyone. But like you're saying, having those schedules be flexible, understanding that things change but still putting forth those clear expectations for what is going to be covered, what the day is going to look like. When and how do we set up those expectations? Well, I think it's really common and helpful for homeschool parents or parents who will now, let's say, be suddenly schooling at home to have a soft open. You know, just like a business will we'll have a grand opening, but prior to that, maybe one or two weeks, they have a soft opening to sort of work out the kinks, run through some systems and see what works and doesn't. I think it's really imperative for a homeschool to have a soft open too. And so you have to think, what is going to be our first day of school? Now that might be determined by your district if you're doing any sort of hybrid learning. And then back up the calendar two to three weeks because it's going to take you about that long to institute some of these new habits. And might I just say, as a classroom teacher, the first two weeks of any classroom is is mostly spent developing good habits, if, if you have an organized teacher, that is. Because Habits and good rhythms and good expectations and foundations will um, prop up your entire year. And if you don't have those, you're going to be a hamster on a wheel all year long trying to keep up because you have not laid a really firm foundation for your kids to know what's expected of them. Mm -hmm. You know, you're going to constantly be putting out fires. So back up that calendar about two to three weeks and then. As you're establishing these rhythms and routines, you have to ask yourself some things and brainstorm. Like, what do I want my kids to be doing when I have to field an email or take a phone call? What do I actually want them to be doing? Because if you don't have a plan, they're certainly going to. And it's not going to be one you're going to be interested in. <laughs> so, you know, think through what are two or three things they can be doing while I'm doing this. 
where do I want them to put their completed work when it's done? How do I want them to alert me if I'm, you know, doing something else that they need some help? Where's the learning actually going to be taking place? Is my spouse going to be involved if that's an option? You know, you have to troubleshoot before you get to the trouble and then be sure to convey all of that to your kids. So it actually looks like walking them through the homeschool day before you actually do the school part of it. You're just walking through the routine before you even crack open a book. And you're going to do that for one or two weeks. So if you have the, the, the notion, we're going to start school every morning at 8.30, you, well, you better do a dry run. And you better start getting them up and having a list of routines of things that have to be done before school starts at 8.30. Just as much as your your kids probably had a morning routine before they caught the bus every morning, you still have to have a bit of a routine um, to be able to start homeschool well. So you're going to run through that dry run. And then after about a week of practicing that, a week or two of practicing that, then you're going to slowly start homeschool. You're not going to start with a running start. It's not, you know, a marathon where you're at this, the starting line and you're launching out with full gusto and full force. You're going to give yourself a long enough runway that you can can get your, your sea legs under you before you have to do the whole thing. So this is what it looks like. And, and lots of homeschool moms do it differently. I'm just going to throw out a couple of ideas for you and see if any of them stick. So you can say, you know, we're going to do school in the morning. And then after lunch, we're going to have a more breezy summer-like schedule. So we're only going to do a few things in the morning, but it's going to get us started. Or you can say, we're only going to do these two core subjects. You know, maybe it's math and language. Those are typically the two heavy hitters. We're going to do math and language, and we're going to do them for about a week. And then after that week, we're going to add in something else and do that new something along with math and language for a few days. And then we'll add in something else until, you know, about week three, you've, you've got all the wheels turning and you're, you're doing a full homeschool day. I like to, because I have five kids, my soft open typically looks like this. I pick my start date. And for us this year, it's going to be like the first um, Monday in September. And then I back up a week and and I say, we're actually going to soft open the week before, and I'm going to start that week before on Monday with my youngest child, and I'm only going to do school with him, and I'm only going to do the things that are grade-specific to him. So I'm not going to do all of the things that we might do together as a group. I'm only doing his grade-specific subjects, and, and in that day, we, we walk through the school day. It's a great time to get him introduced to, like, if he's doing some learning online, I can have plenty of time to be able to introduce how he does that and walk him through, you know, logging on to this computer system or whatever it is. And I also spend the day celebrating him. You know, everybody deserves to have to be celebrated and have a first day. So, you know, we go out for ice cream and we do all the traditions of first day of school. And then by day two, he gets a pass to have summer again. And I go on to my second oldest child and I do school with him until by the fifth day, I've done a first day of school with all of my kids so that by the following Monday, I'm ready to add them all in. It's not only given them just a, you know, a taste and see a simple sampling of what the school year is going to look like. It's given me a long runway to sort of take a deep breath, 
and and ramp up to doing this thing again because you know I've been doing this for 14 years but even I need a soft open summer summer has been so fun but I need to slough it off it's time to get um, in gear and start start schooling again but I need to give myself grace enough to soft open yes and there's that that switch like you said from summertime to school time but I also think there's that switch between mommy teacher and mommy, mommy. And this is the dining room schoolhouse. No, this is the dining room kitchen table. And and so how do you draw those boundaries? But how do you still just be mom sometimes? I think my situation is a bit different than, than let's say a parent who is coming at this for the first time this year, maybe not of their own decision, because my kids have not known mm-hmm. it any other way. So my kids have a very fluid idea of home and school. It all happens at the same place. But for those who are just jumping into it, you know, it is going to feel kind of abrupt. I think it's helpful to have some specific starting and stopping times, even if the learning isn't done. Like if your kids are not done learning at school in a traditional classroom by, let's say, 2.50 when the bell rings, well, it doesn't matter. The learning is done because the bell has rung and now you have to leave and school is done. And I think it's helpful, uh, especially if your kids had been used to a classroom environment like that, to have some definitive starting and stopping times, regardless of the lear- if the learning gets finished. If they're right in the middle of a math lesson at 2.50 and you've determined that that's the time we're going to be done with school and now I'm going to put on my mommy hat, stop the math lesson and pick it up tomorrow. The other thing I would say, you know, especially if you have lots of kids, your homeschool day can go on forever and ever and ever if you allow it to. But I I have to be a mom as well as a teacher. So I typically have the rule at my house, because I work from home as well, that I am done with school at three o'clock. And if you are kind of being um, lazy or maybe you're not being as productive or hardworking as you typically are or can be, and your work is not done by three, well, you still have to finish your work, but I am done homeschooling at three. And that allows me to take off that teacher hat and move on to more of a work hat because I do work from home. Okay. I like that. Having those expectations and boundaries, because again, clarity is kindness. Um, so for, for a lot of families, though, as they're going into this, this is just a scary time it, for, for a lot of people. Again, this wasn't intentional for most of us. There are implications. There's reasons why this is the reality that are in and of themselves scary and anxiety-inducing. And so what are some things that you would say, look, it's going to be hard. These things should be considered. I mean, just the fact that unlike when you were teaching in the classroom, you can't send these students home to their own parents at the end of the day. You know, you're with your kids, maybe a lot more than you used to be. But what are some other things that we should be emotionally preparing for as we kind of buckle down to do this school at home thing? Definitely be prepared to hear things like, well, that's not the way my teacher does it. Because that's normal and natural. Your kids aren't being divisive or rebellious in saying that it's not the way their teacher does it. And, and they're okay 
to recognize that. And you need to allow them to grieve that process. So definitely be prepared for grief from your kids in, in several different forms. And it might not look like grief, but, but they are definitely missing out and, and they know that. So, so be prepared for that. And, and along with that, I would say when you get to the point in your day where there are tears, whether it's your tears or their tears, <laughs> school needs to stop. Because at that point, no learning is happening anyway. So you're just spinning your wheels out of spite or maybe out of pride or whatever. Um, But if tears start to happen, you need to stop and you need to put your mom hat on because you you should never sacrifice relationship on the altar of an education. Your children have the rest of their lives to learn all their division facts and their participial phrases and all of the things. And they can really learn that with or without you. What they cannot do is is have a mother without you. So that's the key. Um, Don't allow schooling or disappointments of schooling or frustrations of schooling trump the relationships that you're trying to build in your home. And, and I would argue that that's one of the hidden blessings of homeschooling. I mean, we're all going into this fall season with a little bit of dread, a lot of fear, a lot of frustration. But I think that there's going to be a lot of hidden gifts. Let's not, re, let's not forget that COVID-19 did not take God, God by surprise you know, he's already gone before us to prepare the way in the wilderness. And so I believe just like, I believe it's out of um, Isaiah where it says he's going to give us treasures, hordes in the secret and dark places. I believe that there's going to be some treasures for every family going into COVID-19, going into, you know, suddenly schooling that we haven't even thought of. And I, I would like to believe that one of the biggest benefits and blessings that we're going to see is this unification of the family. And even though it's going to be hard, and even though um, there will be dumpster fire days, trust me, there will be. Um, I think that that he's got some great things in store if we're if we'll just hold out our hands to what it is he has for us. I love that. And thank you so much for bringing that up because that was where I was going to go is honestly, as as freaked out as I admittedly am, because this is not necessarily my gifting. Um, Just even establishing routines and structure is not necessarily my thing. I am so excited because I've seen and been surprised by, and I've heard from so many people who feel the same way about those hidden blessings that have come from this time. And I think that this is an opportunity that we might not have chosen for ourselves, but if we choose to see the good in it, we're going to find the good in it. And so whether it's a decision that people decide to stick with long-term, I've already heard people being like, you know what, this was the the encouragement I needed to launch into homeschooling permanently, like I'd always been kind of afraid to do, or whether it really is just for a season, hurry up, take my kids back. I think there are going to be some true blessings, like you said. Jamie, thank you so much. Now, if people are looking for additional encouragement or people are looking for other resources I know you come with so many. Where can they find those? Well, unfortunately, I'm embarrassingly easy to find online. You can find me at theunlikelyhomeschool.com or, you know, on all the social media channels under Jamie Erickson or The Unlikely Homeschool. 
don't be embarrassed. Oh no, we appreciate it. I know there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be taking you up on some of those resources, some of that encouragement that you've offered. And of course, we're going to be linking to your information on our Facebook page as well. So if you are looking for additional support or just some camaraderie that, yeah, it's going to be hard, but there is help, there is hope, and there is blessing to be found in this time. Jamie, thank you so much, so much for taking the time and being here today. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. This is an unprecedented season. You may be finding yourself thrown into something that you didn't ask for, something that honestly you don't really want. But I hope you found encouragement today that even in this, God is working, that there are opportunities for you to connect with your kids in a fresh way. Maybe you're gonna surprise yourself and find that you have a passion for this kind of teaching style that you never expected you had. I don't know what God has for you specifically, but I do know that He is faithful and He is good and He loves you and He loves your kids. And so if you are someone who's struggling with feeling like, this is not gonna be a good situation. You're probably gonna screw your kids up. They're not gonna learn anything. Trust that he has you and them under his wing. He has you protected. He loves you more than you could ever ask or imagine. And if you are looking for those resources, or if you would like a chance to win a copy of Jamie's book, Homeschool Bravely, then find us on Facebook. And you know what? That's always a good idea. Finding us on Facebook is a way to connect with a community of people who are on this journey together. Search for, no, seriously, how do I do this? At facebook.com. You can shoot me an email to summer at seriouslyhow.com. And as always, remember that you are loved and you are not alone. <laughs>